Well, good morning again. Well, this morning we're going to look at, uh, again, at the whole conversation of Scripture as we're walking through these 60 days of these six weeks of looking at Scripture. And today I want to pick up on something we touched on a little bit the very first week that we started talking about these 40 days in the Word. So as you look at your notes and you look at your guide, which should be in the bulletin, you're going to see in bold letters on the left side, history, poetry, prophecy, wisdom, literature, and instruction. When you look at the Bible and when you start to read through the Bible, these are the basic five themes that we deal with in Scripture. And they're all really, really important. Here's what's cool about this. So again, as we talked last week, the Bible is kind of God's story to us throughout history of his relationship to us, his pursuit of us, his desire to know us, his desire to have a relationship with us. But each of us is different. Each of us is totally different. Some of us enjoy, does anyone here enjoy poetry? A number of us do. Who here loves music? Loves to just sit and listen to music? Okay, now keep your hands up. If that's you, you don't realize it, but you're loving poetry most of the time. Do you put your hands down? So much of music is, is in poetry. We just don't think about it that way. But what happens? It just hits us, it connects with us, it meets with us in a totally different way. It just, music is is really, really kind of cool, but it's also crazy subtle. Do you ever find yourself singing a a song, and it just kind of comes to your brain, and you start to hum it, you start to kind of bop along with it? And then as you're bopping along with this song, you start to remember the words... And you go, ooh, I don't think I should be humming that. I don't think I should be singing that. But the problem is the tune is just kind of catchy and it, it grabs you in a different way. Okay? Other times, this, and again, this is part of the fun part of music, and this is how, why over the years so often music has been used in such a powerful way. You sing a tune, and what are we, what are we doing? And we see this in the Psalms. What, what happens in the Psalms when you see these song, songs that are called songs of ascents? This, these are those times when the people of Israel were going up to the temple, going up to Jerusalem to, to sacrifice, to worship, and do those various things. What was going on? They were singing these songs, and these songs were preparing their hearts. They were laying foundations of truth. They were preparing their hearts to meet with and to experience God, to walk with God. And, and these songs were used in just such a powerful way and yet it was poetry being sung that just connects with us in such great ways. Now, here's another part. Anyone enjoy history? Yeah, history's fun. I gotta tell you, it's fun to read through the scriptures and to read those interesting stories of things that happened in the past. So some of the common big stories that we read about in history are like David and Goliath or David and Bathsheba, a good one and a bad one, okay? But, but these are interesting stories and, and we have a tendency sometimes to tell the story 
And we treat it like a story when in reality it's the story of God doing work and things happening, but it's also the story of how God has interacted with us. The story of Daniel and and Goliath, the story of a young man taking boldness and courage to step out and trust God and say, this guy in front of me is huge, he's a beast, and yet my God is bigger than him, and they're coming against the the name and the reputation and the character of God, and this guy thinks he can spit on and mock and ridicule the integrity and character of God. Well, I'm going to stand in God, and he puts a stone right through his forehead. Why? Because God made him greater than Goliath. But then uh, later on in David's life, he totally messes up. And he has a sense of prerogative, entitlement. He's let some power go to his head. But God deals with him. Again, you see the process of God dealing with him. And in each part of that journey, you see the presence and the work of God. And what, what's going on? Each part of the scriptures, whether we're dealing with history or we're dealing with that specific instruction, God is communicating and God is revealing himself. And what's amazing to me is that each of us resonates with different parts. We won't look at this today. We will read a a few names put in numbers, but in numbers they they name all the individuals and and they go through and they, they, they... tally up all the nation of Israel as they're going through the land. I got to tell you, I would look at something like that and I would go, oh my goodness, I don't want to, you know, this is the sections I want to skip. I don't want to read this to, because this one begot that one, who begot that one, who begot that one, who begot that one, who begets that one. And oh my goodness, it just, that's the kind of stuff that kind of drives me nuts. But other people sit down and they love it. But what's so cool is that God meets us in the different ways, in the different areas of Scripture, which just makes it fun to engage with him. And God reveals himself through these different things in Scripture. And we get to look at him through different facets. So we get to look at God through this lens, and then we turn a little bit, and we get to look at him through another lens as he reveals himself a little bit differently. And then we get to turn again. We we have another lens to look at him and understand who he is. Why? Because we are seeing different ways in which God is revealing himself and different ways in which he connects with us through the word to, to experience him and to hear his story of his love for us. Well, I don't want to take a few minutes just to walk through some of these and then we'll wrap up with the last part instruction. But let's have a word of prayer together. Father, I say thank you again for your goodness to us, your richness to us. Father, for the amazing ways in which you show us who you are and and what you have done throughout history, the ways that you reveal the amazingness of your character, the the amazingness of, of just the ways that you have desired to know us and to walk with us. Father, I would just ask you to guide our time over these next few moments. And I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So let's begin first with history. 
And I just picked one, 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 one snippet. But one of the things I want you to see is I kind of try to give you a, an outline of some of those areas where the scriptures deal with history. And so you look at Genesis and Exodus. And then pretty much from Numbers through Esther, when you look at your scriptures. So most of that area is dealing with history. Now is there some poetry? Are there other parts all mixed in with that? Yes, there are. So we're going to look at Numbers here. We're going to pick on, pick on a passage of Numbers here that's history. But then also in parts of Numbers and also in Leviticus, you see the giving of the law. And you see other parts of that in the book of Exodus. So you see the givings of law, and that would be instruction. So, but when you look for the issues of history, a large part of that are kind of mapped out Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, to Esther, and then also when you look at the Gospels. The Gospels deal with the history of those three years of Jesus' life, working with the disciples, and where he reveals himself, and, and he, he is, he's born... And then he reveals himself as, as coming, and he starts to work with the disciples, and that leads to, the, to Calvary. So that deals with a lot of the, some of the history areas of Scripture. But here's part of the fun part of it. So let's, let's look, just look at this one area, and just pick on Numbers, chapter 13. And I just want to look, look at this. So this is where the nation of Israel is getting ready to take the land, and they're there for the first time to, to take the land. Okay, so you're you're Numbers 13, beginning of verse 1. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, Send men to scout out the land of Canaan I'm giving to the Israelites. Send one man who is a leader among them from each of their ancestral tribes. Moses sent them from the wilderness to Paran at the Lord's command, and all the men were leaders in Israel. These were the name these were their names. And so this is kind of a it's a it's a short one, but but you, 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 you see some names here. Shamar, son of Zakar from the tribe of Reuben. Shaphat, the son of Horai from the tribe of Simeon. Caleb, son of Jephthunath, and I, I'm going to butcher names and I apologize for that, from the tribe of Judah. Egal, son of Joseph from the tribe of Ishkar. Hosea, son of Nun from the tribe of Ephraim. Palti, son of Raphu from the tribe of Benjamin. Gadiel, son of Sodai, from the tribe of Zebulun. Gadai, son of Susai, from the tribe of Manasseh, and from the tribe of Joseph. Amael, son of Gamali, from the tribe of Dan. Sethur, son of Micah, Michael, from the tribe of Asher. Nabai, son of I don't remember him at all, from the tribe of Naphtali, and Gurul, some of Machai, from the tribe of Gad. Now, these are the guys that went in as spies in the land. And then you have this little interesting bit in verse 16, because you read through that, and you see all those guys, and you say, well, where's Joshua? Because I expected Joshua to show up in this conversation. You see that in verse 16. These are the names of the men sent to scout out the land. Then Moses renamed Hosea, son of Nun, Joshua. But no, these are just this is this is just a snippet of history. But this is an important part of the history of the life of Israel. Why? Because twice they came to occupy the land. Twice God brought them to the gate of going in to take the land. First, about three years after he led them out of Egypt. And these 12 men went into the land. And they scoped out the land and they saw it was beautiful. They saw it was amazing. But 10 of them came back to give a report and they were intimidated. They were scared. And they said to the nation of Israel, they're giants. But Caleb and Joshua, they came back and said, they're right. 
They're giants, but it's a beautiful, rich land that God has blessed us with. And with God's help and with God's provision, we can take the land. Now, you see, one of the first aspects of rebellion in a nation of Israel, in a significant way, where they said, we don't want to take the land. We're not going to do it. And then God disciplined them, and they wandered in the wilderness for the next 37 years. But Caleb and Joshua, they came back to that land later on. And now Joshua is the one who's going to lead them into the taking of the land. And Caleb was still leading his family. So the rest of the guys who rebelled, they were not there anymore. And they hadn't been there for a long time. So what's cool about this whole story is you get to see the progression. You get to see the various things that are taking place. You start to see how God works. And you start to read through the history of the nation of Israel. You start to read through the history of how God has been at work in people's lives. You read through the Gospels and you see how Jesus was touching people's lives. You see how Jesus discipled the disciples and how he spoke into their lives and how he interacted with them. And you start to see the flow of what God has been doing and how God has been doing it. History is really important. And again, when you go through the components of history, you get some crazy stories. They're great and interesting stories. But what you need to understand is that sometimes we deal with the history and we tell the stories, but they're more than stories. They're the history of how God is interacting with us and the things that God is doing to draw us to himself and reveal himself to us and establish relationship with us. It's more than just the stories. It's the history of what he's done. Now here's something else I want to say to this as we talk about history. For many years, people treated the history of Scripture nonchalantly. And they treated it at times as a series of stories. But every time... The archaeologist digs in the Middle East. I'm being a little exaggerating there, but frequently as the archaeologist digs in the Middle East. They keep on digging up stuff that reinforces the message and the testimony of the Old Testament. It's incredibly accurate. Because it's not just the telling of stories. It is accurate history of what God has done and how God has done it. The next part we look at, we see poetry. Now, a number of weeks ago, uh, two weeks ago, I think, when, when we started this whole journey, I encouraged us to spend some time. So I guess the first two weeks, we said, let's spend some time reading through Psalm 119. Now again, it's poetry. But again, I just want to bring us back to Psalm 119. I just want to look at the very beginning of verses 1 to 8. Now, if you look at the screen, you're going to see up there, you see that, you see the one that stands for verse 1? But then there's something to the left of it. You see that? That is intentional. That's not an editor's note. Because part of, this, part of how poetry works is they, they do different things. And this is part of what was going on. So when you look at Psalm 119... The writer of the Psalm 119, for each letter of the alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet, so the first word is Aleph, for first letter of the alphabet, he writes 
a couplet or a series of verses, eight verses, talking about the goodness of God. And so when you look at Psalm 119, each letter of the alphabet, of the Hebrew alphabet, has a a couplet or, or a series of verses talking about the importance and the value and the significance of God's word. And then you look at the structure. And you, when you look, you won't see it on the screen, but you're going to look at the structure and you're going to see one verse or two verses together all through. Maybe one verse alone and then three verses, but you're going to see, just like you will sit down and read poetry, you're going to see couplets and just structure. And there's just a unique structure to poetry. And that's what's going on. But it doesn't mean that we don't hear the word or we don't hear the significance of what God's trying to communicate, but he's communicating it to us in a different way. It says, how happy are those whose way is blameless, whose walk, who walk according to the Lord's instruction. Happy are those who keep his decrees and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. They have command that they have, they have, you have commanded they, that you, your, your precepts be diligently kept. Now, one of the things I want you to notice, as we don't see it, but as it's being presented here, Each section is that couplet as we we go through. If only my ways were committed to keeping your statutes, then I would not be ashamed when I think about all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. Never abandon me. But what's cool about poetry is it just is a different gateway that connects with us. It connects with our emotions. It connects with our passions. It just connects with us differently. When you sit down and you read the Psalms, you, 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 you see just this range of emotion. On one side, you hear this rage. God, what are you doing? I'm frustrated. Why do the wicked prosper? Why do, you, you know, and he's saying, well, get them! And, and he's just... Ugh. You all have never felt that way, have you? So coming up, Joan and I were talking. And um, you ever drive your car and someone annoys you? And so Joan was telling me about something that happened recently down here at the light. But then she goes, but it wasn't nearly as bad as what you did in Virginia. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, and I'm, I'm like, I'm having to think, what the heck did I do in Virginia? You know, and I thought, and when was I in Virginia? That whole conversation. He says, well, the kids were in the boys were in the car, you know, and, and, and I'm thinking, boy, like the little boys. No, this is when they're older boys. But just when you, but don't you get those moments where you just go, <clears throat> and sometimes being in a car is one of those moments. And it was one of those times when someone felt entitled to cut me off because they thought they should, they could merge, and I was supposed to let them merge in front of me and it was, it was, it was not one of those better moments I guess in, from Joan's perspective but I was going to be competitive you know how that goes right it was my space and I'm going to this is my piece of real estate and I'm entitled to it so and I, I, I see some interaction going on in the pews in front of me so I'll, I'll, not, I'll not go so I guess I'm not the only one who does this periodically but it just connects with us in those different ways and there's David going, oh! And then at other times, just the emotion 
the excitement of life and the goodness of God and the way God has shown up. And it's interesting to me how over history, so often people have loved going to the Psalms because it just ministers to our soul and it ministers to our spirit because it just connects with us in such a different way because God's emotion and his passion, it resonates with us. And yet God is revealing himself and God is showing himself. And we're seeing the faithfulness of God. We're seeing the richness of God. We're seeing the kindness of God. We're, we're, we're seeing the, the anger at sin and wickedness. And all those things are okay. But it's just a different prism looking to the heart and the mind and attitude of God as he reveals himself and as others interact and wrestle through what it means to walk with God and have a conversation with God. You read the Psalms and you realize that I can be angry at God and tell God I'm really upset. Or you can be ecstatic and tell, have a conversation with God and tell God how excited you are and how happy you are with how things are going. And that you don't have to hide and you don't have to pretend. But you can be transparent and open and honest. It's just powerful. It's just a different facet, a different lens as we walk through Scripture that helps us to see who God is and helps us to see how we can interact with Him and spend time with Him and know Him. How about prophecy? Prophecy is one of those fun areas. And, and as you look here, there's a number of areas where we, we see prophecy. First of all, prophecy is very much interspersed throughout Scripture. And I'm going to read from a passage in Isaiah. This is one of those prophecies that talk about Jesus. And it's not one of the specific ones I've identified here. Often Ezekiel, Daniel, and Revelation are the key areas where we'll go to in Scripture when we're thinking through prophecy. Now, it's interesting in all that. Also, as you go through Daniel, you're going to see the aspects of prophecy, but you also are communicating some of the history that's taken place. You're seeing the beginning of the Babylonian, of, of, of Nebuchadnezzar, and the taking of Israel into captivity. But then you also see the Assyrians, as, or not the Assyrians, but the Medes and Persians as they conquer the Babylonians. And you see some of that flow of history. You see about 80 years, 60 to 80 years of history kind of just walk through. But the focus often of, of Daniel is looking at the prophecies that Daniel has communicated. Or revelation. But I just want to hit this, this, these verses in Isaiah. And these, if, if, if you've been a churchgoer, these are verses that are probably are familiar to him. But it was talking specifically about Jesus as Isaiah is talking to the nation of Israel and having that conversation. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form of majesty that we should look at him. No appearance that we should desire him. But he was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone turned away from, you, you people turned away from. He was despised and we did not value him. Yet he himself bore our sickness and he carried our pains. But, when in, but we in turn regarded him as stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. 
We see that as prophecy, but we know exactly who was talking about. We're talking about Jesus. And we're talking about the things that Jesus would do when he would come and suffer on the cross of Calvary and bear our guilt and bear our shame and bear the consequence of sin so that we could be reconciled and restored to God the Father. But this is hundreds of years before Jesus is born. But it's prophecy pointing to and talking about who Jesus is. And this is just a snippet, just a small portion of the passage of Isaiah 53 that talks about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. But throughout scripture, we get these snapshots, we get these hints, we get these little windows opening that kind of gives us a chance to see some of the things that God is planning, some of these things that God is intending to accomplish, some of these things that God is intending to do. And then we come back and we now stand on the other side of those things and we can kind of look backwards and we see some of those things that God did. We weren't present when Isaiah gave this prophecy. We weren't present when he wrote this and talked to to the nation of Israel about these things. And we weren't present when Jesus came and walked to the earth and died on the cross or rose again. We, we stand way further in the future, but we get to look through the prism of, of what Isaiah was teaching, what Isaiah was saying, and then we get to look through that prism and, and see how God fulfilled the promises and the prophecies that he gave. And we start to get some ideas and insights as to who God is and what God is doing and why God is doing it. Now there's other prophecy, we, particularly when we look at the book of Revelation, we, we read in the book of Re- Revelation, we see some of the things that God is yet going to do. And we get to feel like the people in the, that stood under Isaiah's teaching. They said, I hear that, I understand what you're saying, but I'm not sure I fully get and understand what you're saying. I understand your words, I understand the concepts and the ideas of what you're talking about, but how does this happen? How does that work? When you read in, in Revelation, many years ago, and it would talk about how the, the two prophets would come and how they would preach and, and they would teach, and yet how people around the world, around the world would see them and hear them. Over time, particularly over the last century, people started to get an idea of how that would happen. But like when my parents were kids... They didn't have a TV, but they would maybe go to the movie theater and they would see at the beginning of a show, a beginning of a movie, there would be a, like an announcement or like footage and, 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 and things going on in the world. There might be pictures of what was going on with the World Fair or other things. And that was part of the window of how they would see and people are starting to see, oh, there's, there's cool ways that we can, we can see these things and reveal these things and cool ways in which these things get known. But they're not happening right away. And again, when you talk in, in Revelation, you talk about these two prophets, it says when they are finally executed, the world rejoices and the world will see it and rejoice right away. And we go, how in the world did that happen? And then today we know probably how that will happen. Because why? What happens today? We, we can have someone who has a conversation with us from around the world. It was, it was amazingly interesting when Daniel was in South Korea. He was literally on the other side of the world, kind of almost like as far across the world as you can get. The only difference is that I don't think he was below the, the, the equator. He was still above the equator. He, but about as far away from us as you can get, he got. And you could sit down and send a text. And two minutes later, he'd reply. 
Or you could sit down and, and do a Zoom call. And from the other side of the world, you get to have a conversation. And all of a sudden, you start to see. And now, people over time go, you got nuts. The world all over is going to see what's going to happen. This is impossible. And yet, given time, we see how God's word starts to reveal himself and how it starts to manifest and how what God is saying is indeed true. And that's the power of prophecy. And so God reveals himself in scripture through prophecy. How about wisdom literature? I really enjoy wisdom literature and and I've referenced these verses before before in the past and as a father periodically my kids would come and ask questions or say things and I would say to them go read Proverbs 3 and 4 I'm just going to read a little snippet of Proverbs 3 but I love what he's saying here and the whole idea of wisdom literature is it just gives us insight it's like instruction but it's also just saying think take time to think Take time to consider your path. But take time to think. My child, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For they will provide a long and full life, and they will add well-being to you. Do not let truth and mercy leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and people. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not rely on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Fear the Lord. And again, as we talked about this last week, fear does not mean like terror. Fear means respect, honor. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This will bring healing to your body and refreshment to your inner self. Son, time out. Take some time to think. Take some time to reflect. Spend some time thinking about the choices you're making. Take some time thinking about the direction you're seeking to take. Pause and think. Pause and consider. And that's part of the challenge of wisdom literature. It challenges us to pause. It challenges us to kind of chase things down in our thought process a little bit and consider the outcome of the choices we're making. To consider the direction that we're going and where that might lead. To put ourselves in that spot where we start to say, okay, I'm interacting with this person in this way. Is that going to be productive or is that going to be destructive? And wisdom literature just gives us that chance pause and to think and I've told the story before but that pause doesn't have to be long but it prompts us to rethink how we're about to behave and again the first time it just like boom just exploded in my life and in my world it was on a basketball court when I hacked a guy really bad 
and I just thought about that verse as, as that guy started to react. The, 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 the proverb that says, a soft answer turns away wrath. And I responded gently and said, I'm like, dude, where's basketball? And instead of getting back in his face, I just kind of backed up and apologized. Diffused the entire situation. And I came back and I said, wisdom, the work of wisdom and pausing and listening and just considering what you're about to do, it just works. And again, we start to see how God is working in us. We, start to, we get to see what God is doing. And, and what does God say to us? He says, listen, I, I have so much for your life that I desire you to experience. And I have wisdom and understanding. I have insight. Just pause. Take a moment to think about what you're doing. Take a moment to think about where you're about to go. Take a moment to think about how you're going to react and respond. Just pause and think for a moment and consider. And that's what God is saying to us. And it gives us insight into who God is. But also reminding us that God has so much more in store for us if we would let him guide us. And so often sometimes we come back and we get mad at God and angry at God because God has allowed things to take place in our lives and yet the whole time God is saying to us, time out, time out, pause, 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 um, pause, pause. And we go, no, I'm going to hit play. And so we go play and we, we, we hit the play button and sometimes they say, no, I'm not just going to hit play, I'm going to fast forward. I'm going to rush through this. And God is saying, Pause. And then we come back and we get ticked off and we get angry at God because things didn't unfold the way we wanted, yet the whole time God is saying, pause, time out, wait, stop, think, listen, wait, pause. And again, it's just that different piece that helps us to look at a different facet of who God is. To help us to think about life and what's going on in life. And how life can be lived differently and how life can be lived better if we would just take that pause and listen to God. Because he made us. He designed us. And he wants us to flourish. That's what I love about as I read through the the Proverbs too, by the way. And, And you read wisdom literature. God is saying, listen, I want you to do this because I can't wait to get you. I can't wait to watch the train wreck of your life. No, the whole time through Proverbs, he's telling us ways that we can avoid the train wreck, ways that we can avoid the disaster, if we would just pause and listen. Why? Because God wants what's best for us. Because he loves us like crazy, and he wants us to be fulfilled and thrilled and happy in life, instead of aggravated, irritated, frustrated. If we just learn to pause, pause, and consider a different path, pause, and consider a different strategy, a different approach, pause, and just think about what God has to say about different ways to handle things that lead to a better outcome. And that's the joy of wisdom literature. One more facet. One more picture. And it's amazing. That moment, for me, was a moment on a basketball court. And at that moment, 
on the basketball court impacted how I thought about God and how I chose to try to interact with God for the next 40 years. Because I understood that God's word works. And it changes how I choose to try to interact. A different facet. A different lens to which to look at life and understand God. And then instruction. Instruction is God telling us things we need to know and things that he wants us to do. And again, as you, you look at instruction, you see the, this a lot in Exodus to Deuteronomy and, and different parts as God gives the law. And, and then you look at the major and the minor prophets. And again, we talked about this a week ago, but all through the, the, the major and the minor prophets is God is having a conversation with the nation of Israel. God is not going back and amending or re-saving, fixing or, or modifying the law in, in what he has said to the, to, to the nation and what he said to others. But rather, these prophets are teaching and saying, guys, this is how you need to apply it. These are things that God wants you to understand in light of this. And so this instruction takes place. And when we read, we read, we read through this last week, in particular as Paul walks through this instruction in the book of Romans, and he helps us to see how Jesus fulfilled the law. And so now there is a new covenant. Why? Because the old covenant is fulfilled, and now there is a new covenant. And, and, and Paul in Romans walks through that and teaches us that and, and explains that that's all instruction. Instruction is when, when someone sits down and says, these are things you need to know. These are the things that need to take place. Now, our culture has a huge value of instruction. What's interesting to me in our culture is that we have a huge commitment to the value of instruction, but we don't have a huge commitment in our culture to the value of wisdom. And we have bought into the understanding that if we have lots of information, we will be able to make good choices, when in reality, good choices often flows from wisdom not just having good instruction. Now, it's, it, when we have good instruction wedded to good wisdom, then we really have the privilege and opportunity to make wonderful decisions because now we have wisdom and insight to guide our path. And instruction is about giving us insight and understanding. So during this process, I've been encouraging you guys to spend time reading the Word. And over these last couple of weeks, I've been asking you to highlight specific verses that might stand out to you. And so if, if you look over the last couple of weeks, I've said you're reading through a chapter a day pretty much and we're reading through a section. What stands out? If there's a spot where you would like to pause, slow down and read a little bit more or just slow down and kind of focus in on something, where might some of those places be? So I, for me, as I kind of looked at some of that, this is one of the places where I kind of wanted to slow down and would think I would want to do that now. So I'm going to do two things. One, I want to talk about instruction, but I also want to talk about the bottom part of our page. 
Because I want to encourage you this week to go back to some of those verses or some of those passages that you've picked out. And you said, these are verses I would like to go back and spend a little bit more time on. Now I'd like you to pick out six more verses for the next six days and, and do that on those verses. And just take some time now to focus in on just a couple of verses. And we're going to do something a little different next week. And that's all okay as we're walking through this and and talking about being people who are students of God's word and understanding and embracing God's word. But I wanted to do this. and, And so for me, as I kind of thought about these verses, what stood out to me were six verses in James and um, as you see them there James 22 to 25 I guess that's four verses and then three other verses James 13 to 15 but for me as I processed that I kind of was looking at them reverse instead of in the order that they came so you see it up there that's so fun with technology I can kind of reverse them and put them there a little bit so it says but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like someone looking at his own face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, immediately forgets what he looks like or what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perceives it and is not forgetful here, but a doer who works, that person will be blessed in what he does. Pause there for a second. Don't go any further for a moment. But I love this idea. Guys, listen to the word and, and apply the word. Now, how many of you look in the mirror on Sunday, in the morning? Now, you might, you might be like, look in the mirror and go, oh, I got to do some work here. Okay? You might have some fun with that. But you kind of get up in the morning, you get out of the shower, whatever, you look in the mirror and say, oh, my hair is like this. I got to deal with the hair. You know, and I... And, 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 but how, how often do you, you do that stuff and you open the cupboard and then you open the cupboard and you say, what am I opening the cupboard for? Oh, it's time to get going. You turn around. No, you remember why you opened the cupboard. You open the cupboard to, to if you're... Most guys don't wear makeup and that kind of stuff, but you open the cupboard to get your makeup or to get your brush, to get your toothbrush, whatever that might be. But you open the cupboard and you get opening that cupboard so that you can get things to kind of address what you just saw in the mirror. But he's saying someone who doesn't listen to God's word and is a person who opens the cupboard, forgot exactly what it was they were just looking at, forgot exactly what it was why they opened the cupboard and they don't even bother closing the cupboard they just turn around and walk in and walk out to get dressed and they walk out for the day because they're not thinking what's going on we shouldn't be doing that we should be people who are remembering God's word and applying God's word and as you look down at the verses down below I asked the question so, so what is it about this passage that first prompted me to choose it for reading this week So for me, as I thought about these verses, it just reminded me, as I walk my journey, I want to walk in a way that honors the Lord. But sometimes I blow it. Anyone here blow it? Okay, and I don't want to blow it. I'd like to blow it less. So that's part of why I chose these section of verses. It says, slowly reflect and read the verses five or six times, and what connections or thoughts stand out? And again, you start to chew on this. You start to think about this and start to process what's going on. I really need to be a person who's paying attention, who's letting the word reflect back into my life. What's going on in Andrew? And I need to be willing to let God 
poke me and, and prod me and, and, and say, Andrew, I think you should be working on this. Or Andrew, I think you should be paying attention to that. And then you kind of chase it down and, and what specifically sometimes are the things he might be poking or, or, or prodding and, and, and to be honest with myself in that conversation. How do these things apply to me? And then sometimes you might want to use that verse as a prayer guide. So for me, I connected these verses with the other verses that came before. And here's what it said. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. Since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. In fact, as I was looking at the verses up above, what does he say later on in in that verse? He says, he helps me to see what's going on. He helps me to be aware of what's going on. It's not God who is doing stuff. It's ultimately me. But each person, verse 14 says, but each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after his desire has conceived, he gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, he gives birth to death. And so for me, as I've wrestled through this and I think through this, I need to be looking in the mirror and I need to be asking honest questions about those things that are surfacing up in my life that are seeking to distract and derail me. But for me, as I did the reading, these are, this is one section of scripture, one of those snippets that I said, I want to kind of come back and I want to look at this a little bit more and I want to chew on this and think on this a little bit more. Now, I gave it to you guys and we, you can have fun kind of looking at this for today or tomorrow, whichever that is, but I would encourage you to fill in the next six days other verses that you said, these are key verses that I want to look at. These are verses that I want to think about. But this is the value of instruction. Instruction, teaching, it comes along and says, if you want to do something better, and you don't like how it's working right now, this is a better way to do it. We had a fun conversation yesterday. We got talking about working on cars, and we got talking about YouTube. I told a story about we, we had a traverse, the engine died, so we don't have that anymore. But we had a traverse, and we, we needed to replace the headlights. And it was a couple hundred bucks to take it to the mechanic to have him replace the headlights. And someone said to me, says, you should look it up on YouTube. And so I looked it up on YouTube, and I could buy the headlight myself for like 20 bucks... And then with my drill, but I had, but I had, but it told me how to do it. It says, what you need to do is you need to take these screws out of your wheel well. You need to peel it back, and then you need to reach up in there. You can't see it. You're going to have to go by feel, and you're going to get here. And it tells you how to do it. See, basically, instruction is kind of YouTube for life, but from God's perspective. And it tells us and encourages us how to live life. And so you look to watch the YouTube video. I followed the YouTube video. I changed the light bulb. It didn't cost me 200 bucks. It cost me about 40 minutes of time and the cost of a bulb. But I followed the instructions of YouTube. That's what God's Word does. That's what instruction does. It walks us through the process of how to live differently, of how to apply God's Word in a way that really works in life. Wisdom encourages us to pause. Wisdom encourages us to consider the the bigger picture and look around and see, what am I doing? What should I do differently? But instruction tells me how to do it differently. It walks me through the process of how to live differently if I'm willing to let God do that in my life. And again, it's just a different facet. 
Now, men, how often do we take the instructions and throw them away? And ladies, you might do the same thing. And we say, I'm going to do it my way. But so often it's better to take time to read the instructions. Just read the instructions. It saves us a load of grief. And that's what God's Word does. That's another facet to understand God. So, history, poetry, prophecy, wisdom, instruction, all different facets, all different angles through which God reveals himself and shows himself through his word. Insights and windows to understand who God is and what God is doing. If we'll take the time to listen, if we'll take the time to look, if we'll take the time to engage. And I want to encourage you to do that. And again, this week, fill in those six blanks and take the time this week to spend time with God, letting him work in your life as you process through and go a little bit deeper into those areas, into those verses that stood out to you as you've been reading these past few weeks. Let's pray together. Father, I want to say thank you again so very much for your goodness to us, your richness, your kindness. Father, I thank you for your word and and what it does for us as we engage in it. Father, you have been really good to us. And I want to say thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.